The reading today is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, and that can be found on page 1006 in your church Bibles. Page 1006, Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is God's word. Thank you, Becca. Good morning. My name is Sam Stevenson. I'm the student minister here at Christchurch Mayfair. It's my privilege to um, be able to open up this passage um, to us this morning. So why don't we pray? We need the Lord's help as we begin. Why don't we pray and ask for God's help? Father, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks in Mark, where your word is sown, your kingdom grows. And so please, Father God, here in this room, would you give us receptive hearts to receive the seed of your word this morning, that it might bear fruit in our lives to your glory. Amen. I wonder how, um, how, how scary do you find living on this planet? We, um, we're British, many of us are British, we, um, we tend to sort of look out at the, at, at the natural forces of this world as, as a sort of a fascinating source of polite conversation with this sort of famously British thing, oh it's a bit breezy today, isn't it? Or, or, or hammering it down out there today, oh it's a bit cold, you know, a bit cold, it's getting a bit cold isn't it? Um, on our little island we, we're pretty sheltered to be honest, um, natural forces, pretty safe, not not too scary here in, the, here in the UK. But if you grow up in Iceland, volcanoes are pretty scary. You, you hear word of an eruption, you, you leave your home, and you hope it's there when you get back. Or you grow up in Midwest America, hur- hurricanes are pretty scary. Once the wind starts picking up, you, you batten down the hatches and, and, and hope that the hatches are enough, hope that there's still a roof there when the storm subsides. Or you grow up in Japan, earthquakes are pretty scary. If the ground under your feet starts shaking, you, you, you find something to hide under, pray the building doesn't collapse on top of you. And of course, for all of our early warning systems, sometimes the natural forces of our world just simply, simply overwhelm us. Listen to this testimony from the survivor of, of um, the earthquakes earlier this year in, 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 in Turkey and Syria. said this we were residing on the eighth floor 
sleeping soundly on what was a peaceful night. Suddenly we were jolted awake by a violent earthquake and we realized that a significant number of buildings had been destroyed. Once the earthquake subsided, we attempted to compose ourselves. However, our state of mind was severely impacted and we looked around as if it were judgment day. Here's the sobering truth. Actually, we live on a planet that has the ability to kill us. And of course, our planet is not getting tamer. I don't know if you've been watching Planet Earth 3 over the last few weeks. Along with showing the extraordinary beauty of God's creation, um, just can't avoid speaking of, of, of the devastating impact of climate change on this planet. Weather systems becoming increasingly erratic, flooding, drought, wildfires... And actually, for many, the, the, um, the state of our planet has, has, has led to the phenomenon of, of eco-anxiety, the, the sort of the paralyzing fear of humanity being harmed by a planet that is beyond our control. Maybe you're among them as you, as you sit here this morning. Now, I'm sorry to go straight in with some heavy stuff, right? But, but when it comes to fear, it doesn't actually help us to be an ostrich. It's so tempting, isn't it? We just sort of stick our head in the sand and, and, and just ignore our fears, hoping that it'll pass. But Jesus doesn't want us to ignore our fears. He wants to help us overcome them. And this morning we have an opportunity to do that. We're coming into this little section of, of Mark's Gospel and, and this week and the next couple of weeks, it's all about fear and faith. Fear and faith. So in our passage today, verse 40, he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then if you just flick over to next week, chapter 5, verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And then, and then keep going, 536, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, just have faith. So it's a little section all about fear and faith. How does faith in Jesus transform our fears? That's the question we're going to be exploring. Our passage today is pretty well known, right? Jesus calming storm, we, we sort of have, have heard about that, we've read that. Um, but I think this passage is profoundly helpful for us as we do battle with our fears. We're going to work through it like this. There's an outline on your sheets. Um, Jesus rests in storms. Jesus rebukes storms. So fear Jesus, not storms. That's where we're heading. So first thing then, Jesus, Jesus rests in storms. Jesus rests in storms. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So remember, you might not remember, Jesus has been in a boat. He's been doing his teaching from a boat um, a convenient sort of floating pulpit for him um, so he doesn't get squashed by the crowds and, and he's been teaching in parables he's been answering the question um, why aren't more people disciples 
Um, but there are some lessons that you can't learn in the classroom. And Jesus, the great teacher, has a lesson for his disciples. And so in, in, in chapter 4, verse 35, he, he says, um, let's cross the lake. Presumably Jesus, um, presumably Jesus told them to set sail, knowing full well what would happen to them on the lake. But Jesus wants to help his disciples to overcome their fears. So he says, let's cross the lake. We're in a boat, after all, let's cross the lake. At least four of the disciples were fishermen. Presumably they took a lead on the sailing. We're not told that, but you, know, you don't want the ex-tax collector taking a lead on the sailing when there were some fishermen in the boat. So presumably that's how it went. And, uh, and off they go. Um, now back in, um, back in 1986, archaeologists sort of digging around the Sea of Galilee, they found the remains of a, of a fishing boat from Jesus' time. So it would probably look something like this, the sort of the sort of boat that they were in. Um, and we read in, in verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've ever been in a, in a furious squall. I mean, we don't sort of talk about squalls, do we? But, but I don't know if you've ever been in like a sort of it's a massive storm. Um, this is a proper storm. Apparently, these are fairly common on, on, on Lake Galilee. Um, we like to name our, our storms in this country. Um, do you know why we do that? I found out this week why we do that. Um, apparently, if you, if you give something a name, like you know, Kieran or something like that, it, it, it makes it seem a bit more real, a bit more, a bit more scary. So we take it a bit more seriously. There you go, every day is a school day. I found that out this week. That's why we name our storms. Um, but this storm doesn't need a name for the disciples to know that they're in big trouble. They're in the eye of the storm. The boat has low sides and they're sinking. They're going down. And Jesus is asleep. Why is Jesus asleep? Well, on one level, I think it's a sort of helpful reminder, Jesus is a human. <laughs> Humans get tired, uh, and so he's tired. Jesus is asleep. He's, just, he's human, tired. But I think, I think, there's, I think there's, there's more going on here. Because as, as we'll see, Jesus, he's not just a human. He's also God. He, he controls the weather. Spoiler alert. Not spoiler alert. We've had it read already. He, he controls the weather. Um, so why does Jesus cho- choose this moment for his nap? It seems, seems like an odd moment. Well, presumably, presumably he's modelling to his disciples, what does it look like to have faith in a storm? And at least one of the things it look, looks like is sleep. Sleep, I don't know if you've thought much about sleep. Sleep is like the ultimate non-activity, Right? <laughs> Um, when we sleep, we, we, we voluntarily give up any ability that we ever had to keep ourselves safe. So when we're awake, we can, we, we can do stuff. We, we can sort of make us feel like we can at least kind of contribute in some way to keeping ourselves safe. We can, we can make a plan or we can make a shelter or we can make a call. But when you sleep, you can do nothing. You're asleep. And so... In a world filled with danger, on a planet that, that has the ability to kill us, how do we sleep at night? 
And, and when the danger feels very present and very real, like when there's a massive storm and you're in a boat, how can you possibly sleep? Answer, because you know who God is. Sleep's an act of faith for Jesus here. Christian writer Fred Sanders says this of sleep. He says, that moment when you consciously choose unconsciousness and let yourself go is a daily opportunity to relinquish control to a God who you have to trust. That moment when you choose, sorry, when you consciously choose unconsciousness and let yourself go is a daily opportunity to relinquish control to a God who you have to trust. Jesus knows who God is. He knows that his father runs the world. He knows that his father doesn't slumber or sleep. Psalm 121. He, he knows that he can trust him. And so he sleeps. And if in your heart of hearts you know that to be true, then why would a storm make any difference? One faithful way of dealing with your fear is telling God all the things you're scared of and then leaving them with him and going to sleep. Jesus is modeling that for us here. Jesus rests in storms. But secondly, Jesus, Jesus rebukes storms. Jesus rebukes storms. As the boat starts taking on water, the disciples are as terrified as Jesus is peaceful. The contrast is palpable. And the disciples wake him and say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They go to him in blind panic. Notice, who is Jesus to them here? Teacher. Now, teachers are good. Some of us here are teachers. My mum's a teacher. We like teachers. Um, Jesus has been doing some teaching recently. And so the disciples call him teacher. But I double-checked with my mum this week. Um, teachers can't control storms. And the disciples come to Jesus. I don't think they're expecting a miracle from him. I just think they're expecting him to do something. Come on, Jesus, at least give us a hand bailing the water. I mean, you know, any extra help you can give us here might, might be useful, like the boat's about to sink. But of course, he does so much more. Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. I'm fascinated to know what, in what tone Jesus said those words. Did he shout them, quiet, be still? Did he whisper them? Either way, what just happened? Humans have discovered, haven't we, that we can, we can make some things obey us. Um, a, a dog will obey its master's voice because it's been domesticated. And it is a remarkable thing when you see a dog sort of snap to attention at the sound of its master's voice and, and obey without questioning. But, um, but sadly, if you have a dog in your life, you'll know that it doesn't always work like that. Um, dogs, dogs, can, dogs can misbehave. They can, they can bark. They can, they can have an off day. They, they can be unpredictable. Um, 
And we can sort of just about domesticate dogs. We can't domesticate the weather. To make an obvious point, Jesus' authority here is just on a different scale. And actually the wind and the waves, they obey his voice, not because he's domesticated them, but because they're his. He made them. The voice that spoke them into existence owns them, rules them. And they snap to attention at the sound of his voice. Now I think Mark wants us to have in mind at this point something of the story of the prophet Jonah. I don't even know the story of Jonah. God sends him to the enemy city of Nineveh. Go and, go and tell them, I've, I've seen the evil that they've done. Jonah says, no thanks, I'm, I'm going to get in the boat and go to the furthest place away from Nineveh I can possibly think of. Um, God sends a storm in the book of Jonah. Jonah's fast asleep on a boat. The sailors cry out to every god they know the name of and they think, well, we might as well give Jonah's god a, a, a go as well. So they wake up Jonah, Jonah, quick, call on your god so that we might be safe. And they actually work out that Jonah is the reason for the storm. So they chuck him overboard and then the storm goes completely flat. And the sailors start worshipping Jonah's God, ironically, because Jonah isn't. Two fierce storms, two sleeping characters, two supernatural moments of calm. But where Jonah he kind of appeals to God's authority over the storm as, you know, throw me overboard and the storm will be calm. Jesus wields God's authority over the storm. Where Jonah fears the storm, Jesus owns the storm. Where Jonah flees God, Jesus is God. Creation snaps to attention at the sound of his voice. Is this the Jesus that you know? Yes, he's the peaceful baby in the manger. We'll start singing songs about that soon. Yes, he's the peaceful man asleep on a cushion. But he's also God Almighty, wielding the creator's power over the storm. The voice that spoke creation into being heard once again in a Galilean fishing boat. Because storms are so obviously beyond our control, humans have always dreamt of a a divine figure to wield power over the storm. If you're into mythology, the Greeks, they imagined a storm god. They called him Zeus. The um, the Vikings imagined a storm god and called him Thor. Uh, Marvel gave him a hammer and the the chiseled features of Chris Hemsworth. Um, But here is the true storm god. The only divine human to wield power over a storm. And his name is Jesus. Do you know this Jesus? He's no weak imaginary friend. This is the Lord of all creation. Jesus rebukes storms. But what difference does this Jesus make to our fears? That's the question we began with. And the end of the story starts to answer the question. This is our third thing. Fear Jesus, not storms. Fear Jesus, not storms. Verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? 
Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now I wonder whether we think Jesus is perhaps being a little harsh here. I mean, come on. There was a massive storm. They were in a tiny boat. They were sinking. Surely fear is the perfectly natural response for the disciples to have had here. But I think that's the point. Fear is a very natural response. The faith that overcomes fear, well, that's a supernatural thing. But yet, we've seen faith in Mark. We've seen faith that that digs a hole in a roof because you're convinced that Jesus can fix your friend's paralyzed legs. Or the faith that comes to Jesus saying, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And I've done the interesting thought experiment this week of wondering what would it have looked like if the disciples had got this right? (laughs) What would it have looked like if they had had faith in the storm? And I think it would have looked something like waking Jesus, confident in his power to help, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make this storm flat. Because in a storm, fear panics, but faith prays. Their blind panic showed their lack of faith. And even at the end of this story, I don't think, I don't think their faith is any further on. They end this story more scared than they were in the storm. In the original language, it, it says in verse 41, they feared a great fear. <laughs> Except now they're not terrified of the weather, they're terrified of Jesus. Who is this in the boat with us? Calling him teacher doesn't even begin to do him justice. And as we finish this story with the disciples left in this kind of paralyzing fear, I think Mark is using their shortcomings to eyeball us. Reaching out to us, his readers across time and space, saying, well, they're they're left in terror. What about us? Do you have faith? It takes something supernatural to overcome fear. But today we've been confronted with a supernatural Jesus. And faith in him includes fearing him. How big is your Jesus? In the boat, these these disciples, they realized the authority of Jesus... As we sit here in this room, have you realized the authority of Jesus? Faith in him includes fearing him. How big is your Jesus? I wonder whether for some of us this morning, actually, we need to let the Jesus of the Bible scale up the impression of Jesus that we have in our heads And I think the point here is that until the impression of Jesus we have in our heads is big enough to be a little bit scary to us, he's not yet big enough to help us with our fears. And he's not yet the Jesus of this passage in the Bible. We need a big Jesus because sometimes the only way to displace fear is with a greater fear. And we know this, right? So, like, you're afraid of water until your child falls in and then you're so afraid of them drowning that you dive in to help 
or, or, or you're afraid of being unfulfilled at work until you hear the company's laying off staff and then suddenly that job seems very precious to you. Or, or you're afraid of missing a mortgage payment until the scan results come in and something's come up and then you're just glad to be alive. A greater fear, only a greater fear can displace a lesser fear. And part of how, wants to, part of how God wants to overcome our fear is by scaring us a little, I think, with the overwhelming power of Jesus. That a greater fear of him might make all other fears seem well, sort of pedestrian and, and insignificant in comparison. Faith in him includes fearing him. And faith in this Jesus, it makes the world a less scary place. Compared to Jesus, what can storms do? Storms only have the power that he allows them to have and no more. I love the way, um, I love the, way the Harry Potter books reveal the... I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Um, I love the way the Harry Potter books reveal the character of Dumbledore to us. He, he's this sort of um, kind, eccentric, gentle old man. Um, until finally in the fifth book... You see him fight. And, and, and then all of a sudden you get a sense of his power. Without losing any of his goodness, he, he becomes a little bit scary. And all of a sudden you realize why he's the only one that Voldemort ever feared. <laughs> it changes how you see him for the rest of the series. He doesn't lose any of his goodness, but he becomes a little bit scary. And it's a bit like that. With Jesus, God is inviting us, I think, to be a bit overwhelmed by the power of Jesus. To realize that the man who deals gently with sinners and, and, and has compassion on the broken and the weak is the same one who calls creation to attention with the power of his voice. Faith in Jesus includes fearing Jesus. So fear Jesus, not storms. Fear him. Now as we close, I thought I'd just briefly just apply this in, in, in two directions, literally and generally. So literally, how does faith in Jesus transform our fears about the natural world? I guess in a room like this, there'd be a spectrum of views on something like climate change, ranging from sort of one end, I'm sort of caricaturing the ends of the spectrum, but one end sort of, we can save the world, on the other end of the spectrum, sort of, you know, do nothing because God's got this. I suspect, that, you know, I suspect many of us will be, you know, it's a big spectrum to be on. Um, for myself, I, you know, I mentioned eco-anxiety earlier. I think I feel something of that. Not all the time. It's not always the most pressing of my fears. But it's there. This kind of low-level anxiety that this planet will become increasingly unstable and inhospitable. And, and, and when we get a summer of extreme heat or a winter of violent storms, I kind of feel a spike of concern and think, is this planet going to remain a safe place for me and my children? I don't, I don't know if you get that as well. How does this passage speak into my fears? Well, I think it helps me answer three questions. Who am I? Who is Jesus? What do I do? Who am I? Faced with erratic weather, I'm a helpless disciple, struggling in the storm. The natural forces of this world, they're just simply bigger than me. That doesn't mean I'm not part of the reason for the erratic weather we're experiencing in climate change. And that doesn't mean that I don't do what I can to help. But I do not wield power over the weather. 
I was not made to fix this on my own. Who am I? But who is Jesus? Well, he's the storm god. (laughs) The one who wields absolute authority over the forces of nature. And he is, at this moment, seated in heaven behind the controls of the universe. Creation is still listening to his voice. Creation is still responding to his command. And if the weather is erratic, then surely we have to conclude that Jesus is allowing us to reap something of the consequences of our actions. He is sovereign even over climate change. We don't know why and how he's allowed it to get to this point, but he has. And we know that he can reverse it with a single word, quiet, be still. Who am I? Who is Jesus? So what do I do? Pray, don't panic. My response to climate change mustn't begin with frantic action or or angry marches. No, don't panic, pray. The disciples panic, they think it's all on them, but they should have come to Jesus with quiet faith. Lord, if you're willing, you can make this storm flat. And we can pray the same way. Lord, if you're willing, you can bring down rising global temperatures. Lord, if you're willing, you can restore the sea ice. You can stop sea levels rising. Lord, if you're willing, you can provide rain to communities ravaged by drought. You can do that. It doesn't mean we don't follow common sense advice to live more sustainably. It's good to cycle. It's good to recycle. It's probably good to eat less meat. But ultimately, we do what we can. We give it to him. And then like Jesus in the boat, we faithfully go to sleep. Trusting that our God knows that he cares and that he has the power to keep us and our children safe. So that's sort of literally, like, that's the literal application. But, but I think we can apply this more generally too. Because fears come. Storms come. The most common command in the Bible, do not be afraid. Because fear comes very naturally to us, and our God knows that. How will I provide for my family? Will I ever meet someone? Will this pain last forever? When fears come, we can work through those same questions. Who am I? Helpless on my own. Who is Jesus? Sovereign over the storm. What do I do? Pray. Don't panic. He can bring us through the storms of life and he can bring us through the great storm of God's judgment that comes at the end of life. When fear comes, pray, don't panic. This is the difference that following Jesus makes. Do you know that difference in your own life? What do you do when fears come? Because come they do. If you've never come to him, Why not do it today? The storm God, the Lord of creation, the one who promises to be with us through storms. We can trust him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we have been confronted with your awesome power. You have shown us that you wield the creator's power over creation. Lord, you are sovereign over the storm. And you're also sovereign over the storms in our life. 
So Lord Jesus, we come to you asking you to give us a bigger vision of who you are, asking you to minister to our fears with your mighty power. In your name we pray. Amen.